Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. We hope to improve quality of life and enhance longevity. Our focus is on wellness and listeners to the podcast know that we produce very, very interesting guests on a regular basis who help us, who lead their own lives enthusiastically and have different ways of helping us to do so. As you know, I'm Ron Kaiser, positive health psychologist and also author of the triple award-winning book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is the Mental Health Gym. It's your source of all sorts of information regarding wellness, positive psychology, my own spin on it, which I call goal achieving psychology, rejuvenating, and it's also the place where you can be in touch with me and recommend guests for future podcasts. We have a unique and special and highly informative guest with us today. I am really happy to provide you with uh, Leonard Perlmutter. Leonard is the founder and director of the American Meditation Institute in Averill Park, New York, and is the originator of National Conscious Month. He studied in India under Swami Rama of the Himalayas, whose lab studies at the Menninger Institute demonstrated that blood pressure, heart rate, and the autonomic nervous system can be voluntarily controlled. Leonard has presented at numerous universities, medical associations, and so on. He's the author and editor of Transformation, the Journal of Yoga Science. He also had curriculums adopted by medical and nursing societies, which we'll want to hear more about. But we also am particularly interested in his new book, which is called Your Conscience, the key to unlock limitless wisdom and creativity and solve all of life's challenges. That's a pretty tall order, so we're going to find out how we do that. But first of all, Leonard, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. It's a real pleasure to have you with us and looking forward to our conversation. Well, I am looking forward to it too, Ron, and I really deeply appreciate the invitation. Well, we're so pleased to have you with us, but you're not uh, the typical guest we have, given your experiences and so on. And I just kind of wonder, it's, I mean, with a name like Leonard Perlmutter, I assume you didn't grow up in India or come from that particular tradition. Maybe before we go too far into what you're going to present, can you tell us a little bit about your journey to get to, to be you at this point in your life? Sure. Well, uh, there's a lot of similarities between uh, the me today and, and the me when I was a child. From my earliest memories, I've always had a philosophical spin on things. Uh, where that came from, I guess uh, people could say it's karma, but regardless, it's how I see the world on, uh, in a philosophical way, through philosophical lenses. But there's also a, an, another principle that has guided me since early childhood, and that is practicality. I'm a very practical person. <laughs> and so 
as I grew into my early teens, I went into uh, scouting. I was a Cub Scout, and then I was a Boy Scout, and I, gee, I, I just really enjoyed the practical knowledge that I learned at, in scouting. In fact, at one time, I was having a conversation with my scoutmaster, and I said, you know, the motto of scouting is be prepared. Exactly what should we be prepared for? And he looked at me and he said, well, how would I know? <laughs> that's why we're teaching you these skills, so that you can be prepared for anything. And that's exactly what life brings us. Uh, could any of us scripted uh, the past two years that we've been experiencing with COVID and, and the political gridlock that we're experiencing and the animosities? No. I, I think that if somebody came up with a script like that, nobody would fund it because they would say that it, it was a terrible script. Not realistic. Uh, not even good science fiction. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure so, you're right. <laughs> So I'm philosophical and, and I'm practical. And as a child, I had a painful reaction to the standard American diet. And I had an allergic reaction to that pain. And I wanted to see uh, how I could get rid of it. It wasn't until I left the house and I started going to school away from home that I began making food choices for myself and examining different philosophies that might address my particular body and the types of food that were best for me. And that led me to a study of the different religious traditions, spiritual traditions, the, the perennial philosophies. And that led me to yoga science. And I found a teacher, Swami Rama, who you referenced earlier, and I had a bit of a uh, uh, allergic reaction to handing my life over to uh, some Indian guru, but I read his books. I read his books for many years, and gee, I thought they sounded like this man was a scoutmaster. It's sort of like he's teaching what we learned in scouts, only applying it to uh, philosophy and real life. And I enjoyed that, and I enjoyed experimenting with what he taught. And gee, I began to feel better physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I did finally meet him, and at a certain point in 1996, he sent me a, a letter from India. Of course, in those days, this is all before email and Federal Express and UPS delivery, so it probably took quite a while to get from India to uh, you know, a rural upstate New York where I lived. And the letter was very uh, brief. And all it said was, start teaching now. <laughs> oh, start teaching now? What, what am I going to teach? <laughs> what do I feel authority to teach? And so I really started contemplating that question. And I realized that the only thing that I could even imagine teaching that I felt qualified for was to teach what I practiced. And so that's what I did. I, I began uh, teaching what I practiced. People responded to it in a very positive way. And I just kept on uh, following my nose and, and experimenting in my own life and then sharing the results of my experiments through my teaching curriculum. 
Well, that's that's a wonderful story, and certainly not the typical way that one becomes a teacher. And before I ask much about who and what you're teaching, I was really impressed by the nature of your book, where you speak of the conscience as being the key to, again, the, the subtitle says it all, the key to unlock limitless wisdom and creativity and solve all of life's challenges. Now, to some extent, somebody's going to look at that title and say, hey, that can't happen. On the other hand, you know, the, the issue of the conscience is not, you know, an everyday thing that, that most people think about or contemplate. So can I, aside from telling us a little bit about the book in general, but can you tell us some of the, the principles behind and why the conscience is this thing that, that can do all these great things for you? Well, it would be a joy to share that knowledge with, uh, your, with yourself as well as for your listeners. The conscience is something that we've never learned really about. We know we have it, and we know that uh, intuitively since early uh, childhood that it seems to us that there are different voices in our mind. And as it turns out, there really are. There are actually four voices in, in our minds that motivate the body to take actions that ultimately bring about consequences. So the conscience really stands alone among the four functions of the mind because the conscience is the only function of the mind that can discriminate, determine, judge, and decide. Gosh, when I, when I learned that, that was a game changer for me. What it meant to me was every human being, for every human being, Every single choice that we have made in our life and every single choice we will make in our lives has always been made by the conscience. Now, there are three other functions of the mind, but they're only advisors. They're advisors like counselors for the conscience to make a choice. But there are two kinds of choices. If the conscience can listen quietly in the mind. If we can calm the mind, the conscience has the capacity to act as a mirror. And as a mirror, it has the ability to reflect perfect wisdom from outside this mind-body-sense complex matrix all the way to the superconscious portion of the mind and can reflect that superconscious wisdom into our conscious mind so that we can be aware of it and use that superconscious wisdom as the basis for our thoughts, our words, and our physical actions. So this superconscious mind is not poetry. It's not a metaphor. It's the same portion of the mind where Paul McCartney hears beautiful melodies, and it's the same portion of the mind where Albert Einstein saw mathematical equations. doesn't mean that we're going to become physicists. It doesn't mean that we're going to become songwriters. What it does mean is within the constellation, the unique constellation of relationships that you and I have, if we can use our conscience to reflect superconscious wisdom from the superconscious portion of the mind, and use that wisdom 
to determine our thoughts, our words, and our acts, the promise is every single relationship will benefit. Now, that's a promise. Of course, we have to do the experiment to find out if it's true. Otherwise, it's just hearsay. And that's not always easy to do because within the mind itself, there's a bit of a tug-of-war going on for power. You see, the ego, the ego is actually hardwired to the reptilian brain. What does that mean? Both the reptilian brain and the conscience are heavily invested in self-preservation. Mm-hmm. And not only self-preservation, but they both have an intense fear of annihilation. They don't want to die. They don't want the form to end. And so in service to that, the ego is always dividing up every single relationship that we have into two components. First, the ego says, oh, this is pleasant. I call this good. Let's reprise it. And on the other hand, this over here, this is unpleasant. It's, I call it bad. I don't like it. Let's avoid it. But we already know, Ron, that which is pleasant isn't always good for us. And that which is unpleasant isn't always bad for us. So if I listen exclusively all the time to the ego and base my my actions on that, I'm going to be in a whole lot of pain. Uh So the ego only has a limited perspective. Now, sometimes the ego is correct. Like right now, you and I both, Ron, need a healthy ego to have this kind of a conversation that makes sense. When we uh, drive to the uh, supermarket for uh, food, we're only going to be able to drive the automobile or the truck if we have a healthy ego. (laughs) So sometimes that limited perspective is correct. But a lot of times that limited perspective is filled with faulty perspectives, faulty concepts that get us into pain. But the ego is often wrong, but never in doubt. It's loud, it's pushy, it's insistent. So it creates a lot of noise in the mind. So too does the second function of the mind. These are noisy functions. And the second function is the senses. You know, sight, smell, taste, hearing, touch. So the mind projects and extrudes our creative energy through the eyes, the nostrils, the mouth, the ears, the hands, and the feet so that we can entertain which objects and which relationships in this world are going to bring me happiness, are going to bring me security, are going to bring me health. So I have become addicted, as have my senses, to looking and smelling and tasting and hearing and touching, always looking outside myself for what's going to make me happy, make me secure. And again, the senses, they're often wrong, but never in doubt, and they only have a limited perspective. And they can't make a decision, neither can the ego, but they can advise. And they're loud and they're pushy too. So we have the ego, we have the senses. Sometimes they're right, a lot of times they're wrong, but they're never in doubt. And the third function of the mind is the unconscious, the reservoir of all of our merits and demerits. You know, 
these memories of the past, some which are pleasant and some which are unpleasant, and the future, right? All these things, these what-if situations, what if this should happen, what if that should happen? Mm -hmm. And so again, the unconscious mind can be valuable, but a lot of what's stored on the unconscious mind, just like in the hard drive of our computers, are faulty, needs an update. (laughs) And so the ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind are very loud and very pushy. And when they're too loud and they're too insistent and too pushy, the conscience cannot reflect perfect wisdom from the superconscious mind. Instead, it is relegated to simply making a rubber stamp decision of what's going to be done and what's not going to be done, what's going to be said and what's not going to be said, what's going to be thought and what's not going to be thought. So the conscience cannot reflect superconscious wisdom. So it makes us a decision based on limited, often faulty information. But if we, as the parent of our own mind, can convince the ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind simply for the sake of an experiment to try to quiet down and allow the conscience to reflect perfect wisdom from the superconscious mind and then encourage the ego, senses, and unconscious mind to support that suggestion, then that's where the music starts. So, I mean, that, that's a lot to absorb, and I'm trying to, and I'm going to try and, and break it down a little bit. The, the first thing is there seems to be an entire system or theory that seems to fit coherently with what you're saying. There's a part of me, probably a part of the listeners who are, are wondering, you know, is this something that came out of thin air and it feels right? Or has there been some science behind it? Is there been, you talked about doing experiments. Um, can you give us a, that part of the, the conscious mind that's skeptical? Can you tell us a little bit about the, the concrete scientific basis behind it? What I am presenting is the integral part of what is called yoga science, which predates recorded history on any level. It is the oldest continuous meditation and mind-body medicine in the world. It is the origin of all mind-body medicine. It is the origin of all religions. Itself, it is only an educational body of knowledge. But women and men, just like you and Iron, thousands of years ago, who were dealing with a tremendous amount of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual pain, they began to experiment with their own inner wisdom, rather than relying on the advice and the hearsay exclusively that they received from outside of themselves. And wouldn't you know, they felt better physically, mentally, and emotionally. Some of them became teachers and taught students. And so this has been an oral tradition until around the year 2000, around the time when Jesus, the Christ, was walking the earth. And then it became codified. I feel that my my service today is simply to 
reapply it to the 21st century in which we are living and make it practical so that you and I can use the conscience to its fullest capacity, which it is not being done right now. So let me just set up a scenario, because here's what I do. Whenever I have a relationship that requires an action, and that would be every relationship, right? Because that's what a relationship means. A relationship means I have to take an action. Could be a mental action, could be a verbal action, could be a physical action. But all of those forms of action always bring about a consequence that can lead me to the health, the happiness, the security that I deeply desire, or the pain. And that will delay the prospect of my happiness and my security. So what I do is, when I am faced with a choice of what's to be done and what's not to be done, I make an appointment with the ego, senses, and unconscious mind, and the conscience, the four functions of the mind. And I ask them to sit around my kitchen table. And I play the role of the parent, the moderator. And so I say to the four of them, look, we just finished dinner. The question then is, are we going to brush our teeth? I would like to call on the ego first. What is your opinion? Well, I don't think it's very pleasant. So I'm going to vote no. Okay, thank you very much. Senses, what do you say? Well, if I'm totally truthful, the census says something to the extent, you know, I really enjoyed that dinner, but I loved that apple pie for dessert. That's my favorite. So insofar as this, uh, this idea of uh, brushing my teeth, uh, no, but I'll take a second slice of apple pie. Okay, thank you, senses. Appreciate that. And unconscious, what's uh, your position? What advice do you have? Well, I'm with the other two. You know, a lot of times we've, we're a voting block. The three of us sort of stick together. Okay, well, thank you. And now I'd like all three of you to remain quiet because I'm going to call on the conscience so that the conscience can reflect perfect wisdom from the superconscious mind and then share it with us all. Conscience, would you help us and, and tell us what you find? And then the conscience says, well, we all know that this life that we're living together, it's not a sprint. It's more like a marathon. And for a marathon, we need healthy and strong teeth. We need healthy and strong gums. We need a healthy and strong immune system. And if we can just take a time out for just a couple of minutes and brush our teeth, that will go a long way to provide us strong teeth, strong gums, and a strong immune system. So for the sake of an experiment, let's all go into the bathroom and brush the teeth, and then we'll come back to the kitchen table, and I'm going to call on all of you to tell me what you experienced. So we go in, we brush the teeth, we come back, and then as their parent and moderator, I call on the ego. What did you experience, I asked the ego. Well, it certainly wasn't as bad as I had feared. You know, I, I, I fear any kind of change that's out of the ordinary uh, because I equate it with death. But, you know, I'm still here, and it wasn't so bad. Thank you very much. Senses, what did you experience? 
Well, I was really surprised too, because when the tongue glided over my teeth, I didn't feel that mossy feeling that I really disliked. And it felt nice to have clean teeth and unconscious. What do you say? Oh, I'm with the ego and senses. It wasn't so bad. It wasn't so bad. So by experimenting with the superconscious wisdom reflected by the conscience, I have provided as the parent a pleasant experience with change, change of habit, with the ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind. They've all had a, a rather pleasant experience, and it wasn't a big investment for them. It was sort of a no-brainer. Uh-huh. And they trust me more today than they did before this experiment. So it provides me something to build on. The thought that occurs to me is I can understand doing this once. I can understand doing this 10 times. At some point, doesn't it become automatic? Do you have to have this conversation? Or how, how does that transformation take place? It's, it's the same as uh, learning how to ride a bike. It's the same as learning how to drive an automobile. Until we find that sweet spot of balance uh, with riding a bike, maybe uh, we need uh, training wheels. Maybe we need uh, mom and dad running alongside the bike. When we drive the, the automobile for the first time when we're 15 or 16, you know, there's all these questions and doubt and stress. How much do I turn the wheel to the left? How much do I turn the wheel to the right? How do I back up? How do I parallel park? Now there's just driving and it's thoroughly enjoyable or riding the bicycle. So yes, we create a global skill. Human beings are good at that. Okay, great. Now I, I know we're going to run out of time and uh, we may have to do this again, but where does meditation come into this? Because it sounds like it's kind of a central thing for, for somebody who's uh, in charge of a meditation institute. And I'm assuming that that's not an unrelated thing to what you've been telling us before. So to continue to do these kinds of experiments with increasingly emotional weight to it, not just necessarily a no-brainer, but things that the, there's pushback, emotional pushback, like fear or anger or selfish desires. We need very clear and helpful tools that meditation can provide us. First and foremost, what meditation does, it provides us the capacity at will to focus the energy at one object, at one point, which flies in the face of our culture, which is selling multitasking, which is impossible. <laughs> in order to provide us the delusion that we're multitasking, oh, Cascades of hormones like adrenaline have to uh, enter the entire physiology uh, so that the mind can go back and forth between two objects very quickly. But what's the bottom line there? Oh, all that adrenaline, day and night, night and day, it diminishes and reduces uh, my immune system and it depresses my mind. Not great. But meditation teaches us how we can focus our mind. And this is the point of genius. The point of genius. Not unlike a splitting the atom where all the energy goes down to one point and it creates a nuclear explosion. 
Well, that nuclear explosion is superconscious wisdom because with one-pointed attention, that enables me to create a space between stimulus and response. And what's in the middle between stimulus and response? That space allows me the freedom of choice to check with my conscience to determine how to deal with this stimulus. So meditation trains one-pointed attention. It provides me detachment, increases the space between stimulus and response. It brings me superconscious wisdom and an access to superconscious wisdom. And it helps me to build the muscles of my willpower. And in order to do that, and this is fascinating, but in order to do that, if somebody is, is pretty naive to meditation, what does that mean? Does it mean 15 minutes a day, every other day, 45 minutes? Is it an hour twice a day? What do you do it? Do you plug it in when you're under stress? Or is it more of a preventive kind of thing that builds, you know, the way that you plan to go to the gym? You don't necessarily go when you feel like going, but but you plan it in. What is the, the process? And I know I'm asking the impossible to, to explain, you know. No, no, meditation. no, that's, a, that's an excellent question, and uh, it demands a good answer. And so I remember when I decided that I, I needed to add muscles to my body. And so uh, not having any experience uh, with lifting weights at a gym, I realized that the last thing I wanted to do was to start uh, picking up 100 or 200 pounds because it would hurt me. But with the desire uh, to build some uh, musculature, I started lifting just a couple of pounds. I did that for, for a while. And then I added a couple more pounds. And then I added a couple of more pounds. And then I added a couple of more pounds. Within a few months, I was lifting substantial weight and I haven't hurt myself. So the question of meditating, start with 60 seconds. Everybody's got 60 seconds every day. If you can do it twice a day, that'd be great. In the morning, it's like filling your automobile tank, gas tank up to full. And at night, it's like unwinding so you can welcome sleep, so you can have a therapeutic rest at night. Mm -hmm. 60 seconds. That's it. Don't take on too much too soon. If it's easy, it's got to be right. And if it's right, it'll be easy. If you can do 60 seconds, morning and evening, and you still have time, and you have the desire, then add another minute. Then you're doing two minutes. But again, that would be fine. And if you have the interest, the inclination, the time, the desire, you can add a third 60 second to it. Well, that's going to be very reassuring to people because I know some people that I've spoken with who have feared doing it, saying that, you know, they can't relax or they don't have time or something like that, but kind of hard to argue with the notion of 60 seconds. So, you know, well, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, we all waste a lot of time, even in the busy, you know, we're very busy. We're very creative and we're very productive, but if the truth be known, we all waste a lot of time. 60 seconds is a small investment in yourself, in your health, in your well-being, in every single relationship that you have. I mean, that's absolutely correct. 
Uh, and again, if someone is naive to it, where, where do you learn to meditate or how do you do it? Or do you just sit down and breathe or what? You need a teacher. Uh, we teach at the American Meditation Institute. I teach, uh, of course, during the COVID. And now uh, we're exclusively online, which is, is very helpful. It's, it's great. So uh, I, I have classes through uh, the American Meditation Institute. The website is AmericanMeditation.org americanmeditation.org. We have lots of classes. In fact, I have a free Sunday morning meditation from 9.30 to 11 every every week, and you can get a free link on our homepage at americanmeditation.org. We will have this in the show notes so people will be able okay, to thank you. get it. And uh, Sure. Are, are there like advanced meditators in other words if somebody you know should somebody feel intimidated about it you know like you know i know whether it's any kind of gym class yoga class or things of that nature you want to start out with something that you're comfortable with is is it the same thing with meditation that there is a uh, kind of a beginner's level or is there a thing that well i guess i've asked it about as well as i can sure there's when a new student comes they're a beginner. And so I present uh, everything uh, that I know to provide them the capacity and the confidence to experience something pleasant. And that's why in, in my book, Your Conscience, I have different experiments that people can do. They're relatively easy. It's like brushing the teeth. It's like uh, not having a cup of coffee at 10 o'clock at night. All these things that they're seemingly insignificant no-brainers. We can all do them and will experience some pleasantness. Not only will experience a pleasantness, but our ego and senses and unconscious mind similarly will experience a pleasant experience. And their limited perspective will then grow and expand. And that's the key to expand the consciousness of the ego and the senses and the unconscious mind. That's really, really encouraging. And I believe there are also physiologic changes that take place. And well, I don't know any long-term meditators who regret or figure that that they're wasting time, that that they only feel better about it. So I I was really happy to get you on the podcast. Uh, As I said, we've, we've got more that we can cover and we'll probably have to do it another time. But can you just run by us, you know, like where can they get the book? Once again, what what else do you have to offer and how can people be in touch with you so that, and again, everything will be in the show notes, but uh, I, I think you've certainly triggered a lot of people's thinking and a lot of desire to want to expand their, their conscious mind. Well, thank you. Yes, the, the book, your Conscience has its own website, and it's called yourconscience.org, yourconscience.org. And it tells you uh, quite a bit about the book and where to buy it. Of course, everybody knows you can buy it uh, all over uh, at all fine booksellers, whether it's uh, some uh, a local bookstore or Amazon or Barnes & Noble online. And you can even uh, buy it through the website itself. So that would be wonderful. And one thing that I, I do want to 
mention to everybody who's listening, and that is that I would prefer that they not believe anything that I have said today. But what I would encourage you to do is two things. I would encourage you to get one of those Doubting Thomas hats and put it on. Become a Doubting Thomas because any good scientist is a Doubting Thomas and experiment with what you heard. Experiment. Turn your entire mind, body, sense complex into your own personal laboratory and experiment with what I have suggested and find out for yourself what the truth is. Is it going to make you happier? Is it going to make you healthier? Is it going to make you more secure and optimistic? Is it going to provide you more energy, more creativity, more willpower? I'm not going to answer that question. I've answered it for myself. That's why I'm here sharing. It has worked for me. But I want you to own it. I want you to be self-reliant. I don't want you to be dependent on me or anything else uh, outside of you. That's a first for a guest is to tell us to not believe what, what you said, but basically move forward. It reminds me, and, and I don't recall who said it, but some math, it was a mathematician I know said that if, if you're a scientist and you know what you're doing, you shouldn't be doing it. That basically you should always be curious and moving forward and be working on, on new things and so on. And I think that, again, I think the, the whole idea of uh, meditation, yoga, science, I think all that is really based on the concept of continuing to grow, improve yourself and this gives, uh, I'm sure your book and your various programs give us a basis and a guide for doing so. But again, it's really wonderful advice to say, you know, become self-reliant because uh, if it works, it's going to work for you. you know? That's right. So, and on that note, I do have to call time. It's been such a pleasure learning from you and you know, this gives me a lot of stuff to look at, to uh, work on relative to, to myself. I think it, the listeners will feel the same way. Uh, it's a great starting point. I'm sure your, your book is. And also, I hope you'll get a number of visitors to your website and to your courses, because as, as a meditator myself, I know that there's a real before and after kind of thing that that you experience as as you make meditation more and more a part of your life. And on that note, it's been such a pleasure, Leonard. I really appreciate your being here, teaching us, and looking forward to to connecting again. This has been Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Our special guest today has been Leonard Perlmutter. Remember. The book about your conscience. Remember how to be in touch with them. All this stuff will be in the show notes. And hopefully it will be a start for many of you to really become more in touch with yourself and become a better person in that process. It's a lifelong journey that we're on. Let's do everything we can to do it the right way. And as, as I indicated at the start of the show, my goal is to hope that we can live life enthusiastically and enhance longevity. 
we've learned some things that'll help us do that. Thanks again, Leonard. And for the listeners of the show, I hope you will download it, tell friends about it, will rate it and make any comments, suggest any future guests for podcasts and go further with it. Purchase the book, look at the, uh, the website and what Leonard has to offer and make personal development a real part of your life. And until next time, when we have another interesting guest, can't promise he's going to say, don't listen to what I said or do it for yourself. But I'm sure we're going to gain a lot from the next person and him or her. And until then, since we're still in the pandemic, stay safe out there and we'll see you next week.